So at that time we realized, okay, architecture is part of agriculture. Nice. Welcome to Mosaic of China, a podcast about people who are making their mark in China. I'm your host, Oscar Fuchs. Today's episode is with the architect Chen Haoru. We've had an architect on the podcast before. It was the lovely Wendy Saunders from Season 2, Episode 12. So I was a bit nervous about having another one on the show, since I was wondering whether there would be too much overlap. But as you'll hear, there's absolutely no overlap at all. That's not to say that Haoru and Wendy are totally opposite. In many ways, they're not. But Wendy's story was about bringing her European eye to China, and we talked a lot about the evolution of the built environment in Shanghai. With Haoru, we're talking about someone with a Chinese and American eye, working in entirely different environments, and with an overarching philosophy that challenges our ideas of permanence and architectural identity. Indeed, what sets Haoru's story apart from almost all the other episodes of Mosaic of China is that we're not just talking about growing a business, we're talking about growing a movement. One that has taken Haoru from the streets of New York to a pig farm in Zhejiang province. We recorded this conversation in a hotel room with too many reflective surfaces, so the resulting audio is a little echoey. Your ears should tune into this quickly enough, but if you do have any trouble understanding, then please follow the transcript on the Mosaic of China website, or watch the video with captions on YouTube. Well, thank you so much for coming. We are currently in a hotel room in Hangzhou, and I am with Chen Haoru. Hello, Haoru. Hello. I have been doing a few of these interviews outside of Shanghai, which is nice because a lot of the previous two seasons have been very Shanghai-based. And it's fun for me because the city itself becomes almost like an extra guest in the show. So before we jump into our conversation, how long have you been here in Hangzhou? Well, that's a good question. I was born here in the 70s. Then I went to US, New York. I was there about 15 years. Then I came back, year 2000, 2001. You know, I would go back to New York and come back here, go to Shanghai or go to Beijing and go to Europe for exhibition and come back. There was not a clear definition in which city that I actually live. I, I used to live in multiple cities. That was the previous life we used to have. <laughs> right now with COVID, the luxury of saying that you are based in multiple locations is no longer available, right? <laughs> yes, we're sort of forced to choose. Yes. Sort of stuck in one place. Yes. But there are worse places to be stuck in. I think Hangzhou is a really beautiful city. And presumably, when you came back from the US, that's what you had in mind as well, right? It was very peaceful around the year 2000 to 2001. Hangzhou was considered a backwater or neidi. <laughs> uh, the city really goes around the West Lake. It's very uh, unique situation because usually we see a central park. But Hangzhou was a city that was built around the lake. Yes. But Hangzhou, in a sense, was kind of insignificant. It was a capital once about a thousand years ago in Song Dynasty when basically they were forced to relocate. Uh, to Hangzhou. But after that, it's been sort of a romantic place for people who are wandering around it, have no sense of belonging, uh, <laughs> or sort of uh, depressed, uh, depressed <laughs> politicians, poets, artists. 
It's a place to be tucked away. You know what? I've heard of that. Like in the 1900s, when people were getting tired of how China was modernizing, they would escape to Hangzhou and become like a Buddhist monk, wouldn't they? <laughs> yes, that was about a hundred years ago. And then some people stay. They would rather be here in this perpetual holiday. <laughs> well, I said that the city we're in will become like an extra guest of this show. I think it's almost to a fault because we've talked about Hangzhou, and I haven't really talked about you at all. Briefly, what do you do here in Hangzhou, Haoru? I'm an architect by profession. That's how I came back to Hangzhou from New York because I actually received a commission here. Great. Well, before we go any further. What is the object that you have brought that, in some way, describes your life here in China? What do we have here? It's a model of a bookshelf. Oh, nice! This is、uh, from years ago. I made this in college. It's what got me into the profession of architecture. It's a kiosk to sell newspaper and magazines. Oh, that's what you mean! Right, right, right.、Yeah. You see interesting bookstands in Paris. Yes, that's what I'm thinking of when you say that. You go there and it opens up. And、uh, it's a street life. At night, it just closes off, becomes a, a fortress. That's right. Yeah, that's the great idea because then the books is no longer belongs to one person. It's shared by the city. So this was designed to be a freestanding structure in the middle of the street, which would open up and become like a temporary bookstore in the daytime, and then would shut in the evening. Yes, but you see all the creative bookstore design or bookstand design. Not only in Paris, you know,、yes. all over Europe. I, I saw something very interesting in Tokyo, recently. You were ahead of your time, maybe. I always feel that.、Mm. I feel ten or twenty years ahead of my time. I came back a little bit too early. Now is probably a better time. Yeah. Hangzhou has become a boom city. Hotels and Alibaba. <laughs> yeah, where we are doing the recording is in a hotel right next door to one of Alibaba's big offices, right? That was built、uh, three years ago. Before that, this place was very quiet. And so, presumably, you studied architecture in New York. That was your America side of your story. Yes, I studied、uh, engineering. I studied the arts. Then I found architecture. Then I stuck with it. Mostly, I spent my time in New York City. Schools in Harlem, schools in Brooklyn, and、uh, in the village. This environment. That cultivated designers, artists, and I would say nonconformist thinkers, right, in that part of New York. Very different from the rest of America, right. The crossroads of the worlds are Broadway and Forty Second Street. <laughs> Always this sense of optimism. So, you said you received a commission. I received a commission. Yes, the first commission was about making a new city. It was a beach of the river, and there was nothing there. That's Beijing. That's where the huge towers are now. You know, we contribute a part of that, but we found that there are problems in the way we are proceeding with this. One of them is I saw the construction workers. We had hundreds of construction workers. They were quite skilled with hands. They would use tools and cement, try to make something so straight that it mimics prefabricated industrial units. We see this everywhere. People use handcraft to mimic. An industrial era product, and that results in a bad product, right? Because if you're trying to mimic something which is machine based, the result is going to be lesser. It was also sad because we know how good they are, what great crafts they can produce with their hands. 
Yet we're doing something that was designed to make it fast, cheaper, and mass-produced. Try to catch up. Try to be modern. But people are paying a huge price for it.、Mm-hmm. Then I realized maybe okay, we have two ways of doing this. One is industrialize and、uh, develop progressively. But there is always a parallel movement of people going to countryside. There are the crafts movement in UK,、mm. in America as well. Frank、mm. Lloyd Wright going against the machine of modernism. And in China, I see this coming. I saw Wang Shu's work right after I got here. So Wang Shu, he's someone who most Chinese people would have heard of, but maybe if you're not Chinese, you may not know, right? Who is Wang Shu? Wang Shu is very famous now. 2012, he won the Pritzker Prize for architecture. That's the equivalent to Nobel Prize. He's an architect. He, now he's a dean of the school which I teach, and his work is very much based in regional material and climate. I saw his work, his effort as being this parallel movement, more sensitive towards localism, the equality issues. When it's demolished, what do you do with the demolished material? You put it in his walls as a statement.、Mm. So when Wang Shu invited me to go teach in 2004, he was starting the school, and I know what he was thinking.、So、I said yes. It was、um, a lot of free thinking, experimentation.、Mm. I was able to think about social and artistic movement, and、uh, thinking back, that was a very exciting time. I found a pool of great people, great talents. Then I was happy to be part of them. Yeah. So let's go into some detail. We talked about how you had this idea. So, what did you end up doing? 2012 was sort of a very important year. From that year, we started receiving commissions from the countryside. The society has somewhat changed. There are increasing amount of attention being paid towards the countryside. We did our first project the next year, the Taiyang Commune project. Right. We're starting to get into territory that overlaps with the person who referred you, Yovana Zhang. So let me play you something now. I am、uh, suggesting that you talk with、uh, Haru.、Uh, he is an architect.、Uh, he is based in Hanzhou. He is doing a lot of things that involve bamboo、uh, structure. I think he has a lot of things to say about architecture of of China. Oh, thank you, Ivana. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what your relationship was with Yovana. How did you know her? 2011. I went to a meeting about a show somewhere. They invited architects and handcraft designers. I met Yovana. I met the whole gang, and then I thought, great, this was the Hanzhou Art and Crafts Revolution.、And、I said, great, I want to be part of that. Then we went on to do shows, exhibitions. We went to Milan Design Week. Our show was called Handcraft in Hanzhou. First material bamboo, and this exhibition was so popular. They moved exhibition to Paris in the Louvre. So this was like the instant hit. This is what connects us to the project you just started to mention, right? Yes, I joined this exhibition partially because of this very interesting material, bamboo. Architecture supposed to last hundred years. The permanency issue of architecture was without question until it comes to bamboo. <laughs> In Japan, they put two temples side by side. You would tear one down and、uh, use the other one, and then you switch. Everything is in the constant demolition and reconstruction process. 
these temples are so unique and influential in the history of architecture、mm. that it just challenges the permanency idea of architecture. It's always under perpetual reconstruction and yes. maintenance. Yes, which in itself is a challenging idea when it comes to architecture from a modern perspective, where we think about building these massive steel and glass structures that look like they're permanent forever and ever. As an architect, we know that is not true. Because very frequently the building gets knocked down in twenty years. That is a problem, I think. But in the countryside, we were able to experiment with this idea of temporariness, you know, this organic quality of bamboo, with、uh, different structures other than the structure for human to live. We came up with these country reconstruction projects that one of my friend Chen Wei, who, who knew what I was into. Had offered me a chance to design something in the countryside, right? And this is what became known as the Taiyang Commune. That's right. Taiyang is a town name, and it was a bit far from the city, where the land is quite cheap. So my friend Chen Wei was able to rent a few acres of semi-abandoned land, you know, and he wanted to create a farm for raising pigs. Pigs, right. Because that was the only sustainable farming trade that wouldn't lose your investment. Oh, so it was like a guaranteed income idea. It was income idea, but really problem because all the villagers were against it because the pig barns are notorious for its smells. Right. So the challenge was very interesting. We were to create a structure for raising pigs, but it needs to have、um, positive reviews. <laughs> Can have even visitors. So about、um, three months preparation, we had、uh, meetings of the pig farmers come to our office. Then we would learn about the possibilities of you know what we can do, what's not to do. Then I talked to my client to use the bamboo. Chen Wei is very open-minded. Say okay, try it, do it. We created this design, a very durable and simple structure. Using with the five pyramid schemes and cover the structure with、uh, straw, the the mass works out. The client was happy. Then we had to be there to supervise it to, to make sure that it's done correctly. It's it just it was just perfect.、Mm. We wanted to last at least three years. If it lasts three years, we'll know if the farm is success or failure. <laughs> so at that time, we realized okay, architecture is part of agriculture. Nice. I see. The solution is within the agriculture. You go to rice paddies. You see these beautiful stone stacked pathways. Who did it? It was the farmers. One of the main work for the farmers is to do infrastructures. Right. Which you would also say that is design. You'd say that's architecture. That is part of architecture. That's foundation. This foundation for the rice paddies would continue and form the foundation for village houses. Yes, they interconnect, right? Absolutely, everything's connected. You're in the valley. Nothing comes from outside. Everything's from here. Then you just have to assemble them together. That is, to me, the essence of agriculture.、Mm. That's how we're meant to survive. Maybe I should ask you about the project itself. We've talked about the architecture side. What was this idea of the commune? It started with the idea of a pig farm. It became quite well known, you know, what is this、uh, huge pig farm and doesn't smell too bad. So we did our job quite well. Architecture became the media object that everybody talks about. And from the creation of this architecture, 
the farm has identity. Mm. People come here to see the pigs, feed the pigs. As many as 50,000 people visited our farm. Oh, wow. For the first year. So in this process, we decided to enlarge the scope. We made as many as 55 different variations of vegetables, you know, expanded animal farm to chicken, duck, sheep, goat. And we brought in more people. So it became a experimental education ground for rural construction. Which is interesting to me because... You could have the idea of a commune growing organic food, but then without having the symbol of the pig farm, without having this architectural identity, it doesn't become anything. It was the architectural piece that grabbed people's attention, which then led them to the actual idea that you were trying to do. Yes, it was the first time for me that I felt architecture was powerful. This ability that we have that creates identity, a place, within the continuous rural space. The farmers are proud to be the producers of good food. Uh, they have their photo put on the product. Oh, so this person created this product? Yes, with pride. There are many farms who did similar things uh, before in Japan and Taiwan. We learned from them. But architecture-wise, it goes back to Arizona. There's this tradition in the U.S. where you go somewhere and create your own universe your own order. So at the time, it was felt very much like that in the commune, that we were doing something new. There were people coming every day with a lot of volunteers and, you know, made our clients very happy, developed into almost like a career. Mm. The way you talk about it, you didn't just design and build this pig barn. You almost became part of this project yourself, right? Yeah, I was a, I was a part of the project uh, from the very beginning. And that was sort of the understanding. To supervise or help with the management and uh, the marketing of the farm. Oh, wow. We went to as many as 50 to 100 exhibitions, conferences, talks. Of course, about using organic architecture. Architecture doesn't need to be permanent. Architecture doesn't have to be wasteful of energy or it doesn't have to be destructive to the environment. Even now, we're doing these uh, exhibitions. People call me to ask me to create a new farm somewhere out in the West, in Xinjiang. It was just overwhelming. Well, that's what I want to ask you about, because we're talking about this one project, which started almost a decade ago. What was the knock-on effect? Have you now built a practice based on that project? I had never thought of doing this commercially. I had never thought to become a CEO of a huge firm who does this thing and that thing. Because it started with such an anti-establishment, anti-urban culture. Myself, I don't think this really works with this sort of centralized planning strategy. I think it would remain a movement done by everyone, everywhere. Organic, right? It would spread organically. Yes. And it happens. You see Mingsu movement. Mm. Uh, these boutique hotels, they are perfect to use architecture, use design to awaken one area. That's exactly what you make me think about. Little guest houses that I see popping up in the countryside all over China. You build a nice minsu, a nice guest house, yeah, yeah. and then it attracts people who then can revitalize an otherwise ignored small village, right? You know, I got this wake-up call. In Switzerland, I went to see the works of the, the great masters in the, in the mountains. In the city, you see all these architecture thrown together, and yet individually they are so insignificant. Doesn't matter how great the architect, how beautiful the material, you're just one piece of the mm. city. Everybody just sort of compromises, you know, they fight each other. But some architects have this dream to do more. 
architecture become part of the landscape. It defines the place. We just have to plan them smartly. Is this what you're working on these days? I am working on a youth hostel in the rural area of Anhui Province near Huangshan, surrounded by beautiful sceneries. The place has no people, so to do anything is impossible for construction. Of course, you couldn't find workers for restaurants. Nobody, right? So could this be reversed? Right. So this youth hostel, you build the identity, and then young people can come back and revitalize an otherwise ignored part of the country. Yes, we're trying to use architecture again. Yes. So young people would want to go. The young people who go there will then post it on their social media, and hopefully that'll have a knock-on effect with other people going. It just accelerate things. Originally, oh, maybe five years this movement. Maybe it take five months yes. if what you do is correct. If I do it correctly, I wouldn't need to promote my own work. Others will do it for you. Yeah, they will find a better angles to, to talk mm-hmm. the story. Then it becomes really interesting. Well, we started our conversation talking about Hangzhou. Why don't we finish this part and say, where do you see this city going in the future? The city is still changing. Maybe we will have a new city center in the west. The building, the tallest building in Hangzhou, there, a giant train station that connects west and north, where Alibaba is, and the south, where we are, they're creating this new region. Maybe the provincial capital be moved there. I think the city will be transformed. Westlake will be indeed a central park for Hangzhou. There used to be nature surrounds man. Now it's truly man surrounds nature.、Mm, this city is going to be more and more on the map in the future. Yeah. If the Hangzhou government wants to sponsor this episode, they're more than welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much, Haru. Thank you. We'll move on to part two. Okay, part two. I ask the same ten questions to every guest. Question one, brought to us by Shanghai Daily. What is your favorite China-related fact? Well, talk about my profession. The different regions have different architects. Shanghai architects are definitely more urban, boutique, trendy, diverse. For Hangzhou, maybe it's a bit more uniform. The small studios are very much associated with schools, and、um, the topics are more related with culture, environment, nature, crafts. With、uh, Yunnan, it's about、uh, Yuanfang, faraway architecture. It's much more rural. It's highly personal, and、uh, architects love to go there. Most of them are not from Yunnan.、Mm. Most of China sees Yunnan as this getaway place. Yes, and、uh, if you go to Guangzhou, they have the very strong southern tradition, being a very different climate. The color materials are very different, very unique, more colorful, more lively. China is so big. Yeah, that's a little taster of the different architectural styles. Thank you.、Uh, question two. Which comes to us from the language learning company Rosetta Stone. Do you have a favorite word or phrase in Chinese? Wow, I say liberation, right? 解放 please, you know, <laughs> lift the blockade. Yes, 解放 <laughs> is a good answer. Question three: What is your favorite destination within China? I have to say, if you drive. You can actually go into the mountains without much danger. You know, the, one of the first places from where we are,、uh, Hangzhou or Shanghai area, is to go to southwest. I did that recently. 
in Zhejiang province still, right? It's south of Zhejiang and Fujian. Mm. We went to a lot of villages in these areas, like Longquan. Longquan, oh. Yeah, the Dragon Spring, where you would find the ceramics for tea. And they make swords. Oh, right. Yeah. Why would they make it there? If you go there, you'll find out. They're in the mountains, but they're connected through water to Hangzhou and Quanzhou. Mm. So this road from Hangzhou to Quanzhou is very interesting. On this road, you find countless beautiful villages and bridges called, we call the Langqiao. This endless roadway of China. Mm. There's a nice connection also with the mosaic of China because in season one, yes. a couple of people said Hangzhou was their favorite destination, mm. including Astrid Pokosian, the violinist. And last season, season two, there was a improvisational comedian called Michelle Chu and she chose Quanzhou as her favorite destination. Oh. <laughs> so Longqian is right in the middle of those two. Yeah, if, if you go there, it's just very lively. It's different from the Northwest. Nice. Thank you so much. Next question. If you left China, what would you miss the most and what would you miss the least? It's, it's about freedom. In China, you are free to do many things. You basically travel between regions. So it's this kind of a variety and the freedom to travel within the borders. It's kind of good. What I miss the least, China is still kind of a closed border. Great Wall of Fire, right? Great Fire Wall. <laughs> yeah, Great Fire Wall. That's the thing I miss the least. Yeah. I think that's terrible. Well said. Next question. Is there anything that still surprises you about life in China? It's how much fast it changes. That is really frightening and surprising. Every field is changing. So it makes me wonder, do we age well in such a society? <laughs> yeah. What about in your field? What is changing the fastest in the world of architecture? New projects keep on popping up in the countryside. New architects new places, new people. I didn't expect it to be so soon. Maybe time passed a little too fast. <laughs> we can't keep up with. Now, when I go around the countryside, I do see things that have been made by architectural firms from Beijing, from Shanghai. Yes. There's now a lot of people who are trying to do the same thing you are doing, right? In the countryside. Yeah, we're running into each other. They are good because it fosters competition that creates the, the environment that you are working towards a similar goal. Mm. The countrysides are more open, I think. There's more room for experimentation. Oh, definitely. Mm. Yeah, the urban sites, they are more competitive. The next question, which comes to us from Smart Shanghai. Where is your favorite place to go out, to eat or drink or just hang out? In the place where I'm working now. Suichang. There is a restaurant where you can have all these unique food from the countryside. You probably never see it anywhere else. They put herbal plant in every course of their meal. Oh. It's quite good. But what's interesting is you get to have the meal while watch a theater. Oh, really? Yeah. The place is known for the creator of many dramas called Tang Xianzu. Supposedly he wrote all his drama in this town. To celebrate him, they create theaters for the restaurants. That becomes a tradition. And so there's more than one of these places in this town. Yes. I find that to be two worlds put together. Yeah. You just have to go there. Very unique. Thank you. Very rural. <laughs> That's on brand for you, right? <laughs> what is the best or worst purchase you have made recently in China? Oof. Can I say something that I didn't buy? Mmm. Go on. Yeah, I'm looking at to buy an electric car. That is something that I might have to get. Yeah. Because we're in a city, 
they're posted restrictions on normal cars, mm. gas cars. So that kind of restriction is making everybody buy electric cars. Why haven't you bought one already? I didn't buy one because the choices they're so baffling. <laughs> there are so many, but that is definitely something that's coming towards us. Well, there will be a delay between this recording and when it is released. So maybe by the time it's released, you would have already bought it. Maybe, <laughs> maybe right. Next question: What's your favorite WeChat sticker? Oh, nice! Can you explain this one? Yeah, it's algorithm. It's basically calculated movement of an insect. Right? Nice. It's so simple, but it's quite hypnotic. Yes. And next question: What is your go-to song to sing at KTV? Maybe Taiwanese singer Qi Xing, "Beifang de Lang," "Wolf from the North." Oh, nice. It's kind of funny. <laughs> this imagination of this uh, lonely wolf from the north, which is kind of interesting term in Taiwan. It's funny. Yeah. It's from which era? Eighties. <laughs> nice. Classic. <laughs> And finally, what or who is your best source of inspiration in China? There's an island in middle of the lake here in Hangzhou, called Solitude Hill. Poets would go there to be alone, and that became a movement. Qing Dynasty, two hundred years ago, this group of artists would go there to form a society outside of the city. The counterculture and anti-establishment spirit that's always been here. Our school also claimed that because the original school was established there on the island, Solitude Hill. So that place is really inspiring for me.、Mm. Uh, I I went there numerous times as a kid, and now I always go there. It's just sort of in the middle of the lake, but connected with the causeways and bridges, and you really feel like you're in ancient time. There are tea houses and stone caves, tombs of great people, and you're in nature, very well designed places.、Mm. And can you still find solitude there even today? Yes, you know if there's too many people during the day, you just go there at midnight. Right, they're open. You just walk the hill; nobody will stop you. That's nice because my only image of that place is in the daytime on a weekend, full of、right. tourists. Yeah, but of course it's different in the night. Lovely.、Yeah. Thank you so much for that, Haoru, and I appreciate everything that you've shared today as well about your work and your life. I hope that there are more people like you out there in these ecological projects and sustainable ideas. So, anyone listening who is inspired by your answers, I hope that they can get in touch. Thank you. The final thing before we close off today is, out of everyone who you know in China, who would you recommend that I interview for the next season of Mosaic of China? There are a number of people I think would be perfect for your show. But the criteria is also you have to speak English. Yeah, they have to be in China. Yes, that was kind of a conflicting requirements. Yes, a lot of them have left. <laughs> yeah, but one of my friends is still here, Chen Ming.、Uh, he's a furniture designer, educated in Milan, in Holland, and I believe in Germany. We were teammates during the exhibition in Milan.、We、helped each other and traveled together. And he's in Hangzhou, and he's a lot of fun. If you're famous for what you've done in bamboo, what is he well known for in furniture? Oh, he's done many things. His most famous work is a, a stool, which he calls a Hangzhou stool. He's very enlightening.、Uh, If you had one question that you would ask Chen Min, what would you ask? Oh, 
As an architect, I created chairs. As an industrial designer, what would he create for architecture as a city? What would he do as a city planner? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you so much, Haoru. Thank you, Oscar. I'm a city boy, and I imagine many people listening are the same. We dip our toes into the countryside a few times a year and say, "Well, isn't that nice?" But not many of us urban types truly allow ourselves to learn what rural life can teach us about our so-called modern, sophisticated ways. So it's always refreshing to get a reminder about this, and doubly so to hear from someone who has little interest in the massive growth and scale that is so often tied into stories about China. If you're interested in other episodes which touch upon these themes of cities versus countryside in China, then I would point you towards the documentarian Noah Sheldon from season one, episode nine. His work is largely focused on laborers from the countryside who end up in urban and industrial settings. Then there's the episode with the playwright Nick Yu from season one, episode thirteen, who talks a lot about his roots in rural Anhui province. And finally, please check out the episode with Douglas C from season two, episode fifteen, who talks about rural life, specifically on an island, also in Zhejiang province. Back to today's episode, I realized that we never mentioned the school where Haoru teaches. It's the China Academy of Art (CAA). The School of Architecture there was created by Wang Shu, and Haoru has been teaching there since 2004. Also, Haoru hasn't bought an electric car yet, but he says he's saving up for the Lotus Elettra. And finally, his good friend Chunwei has left the commune these days, but he and Haoru are going to try and create something new together soon. On the subject of new things, you can see photos of the new Countryside Youth Hostel project that Haoru mentioned in all the usual places, either on the Mosaic of China website or social media. Or integrated into the video version of this episode on YouTube. Whichever you choose, you'll also find there his favorite WeChat sticker, a photo of Haoru with his object, the model of the book kiosk he designed at Architecture School, and photos that I took at the Taiyang Commune project, which I visited together with Haoru. The buildings are still standing ten years on, and I took a selfie with the piggies, who seemed very happy in their bamboo canopy. Just looking at these photos today really made me connect the dots between those animals and the organic bamboo architecture itself. The cells in our bodies are in a constant state of rejuvenation, to the extent that the Oscar in that photo is, on a cellular level, not the same Oscar as the collection of cells speaking to you right now. <laughs> That's organic architecture. The pig barn stays the same. Even as its bamboo structure and grass roofing exist in a constant state of replacement and rejuvenation, as always, there's a longer version of my interview with Haoru available on the premium version of the show, on Patreon or Apple Podcast subscriptions internationally, or on iFadian in China. Just search for Mosaic of China on those platforms, and here are some clips of what you'll find there from today's show. Specifically, we were hired by the same client. That's how we met. <laughs> right. The chicken farmer came back at forty-nine.、Mm. She had nothing to do, so she was happy to be raising chicken. A ten-segmenty structure, which is floating bars that's connected with cables. It really is a sprawl that seems to continue until the horizon. <laughs> you know, there are cages、mm -hmm. that you have to choose. We're not really international people anymore. That's it. 
this huge bankers meeting that's happening in Switzerland. Oh, Davos, yes. This is what could happen in the countryside. Yes. Bamboo in two three months during the spring, it can shoot up to as high as ten meters. The scaffolding has always been made out of bamboo, right? That practice sadly has been stopped in China, and there were big bucks to be made. But I don't think I'm so good at it. <laughs> Mosaic of China is me, Oscar Fuchs, with artwork by Denny Newell. Stick around for a catch-up conversation with the person who referred Haoru to the mosaic. The handicrafts designer Yovana Jung from season two, episode eight. We'll be taking some time off for the Golden Week holidays in China coming up, but we'll be back soon for the next episode. Hello, Yovana. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Great to see you. You're looking well. Thank you. We were very busy this、uh, last、uh, two, three months renovating our office, and it's not ready yet. But we already moved in, and、uh, we have、uh, tables, air conditions, and windows, but no doors. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not the most secure place, but at least you have nice wind. Yeah, yeah, it's really hot. So we were dying in the storage where we were working for the last two months. So we were rushing to move in. <laughs> I luckily managed to visit you when we did our original recording. That was probably about eighteen months ago. You and your husband and another partner. You run a creative agency, and you also have a library of artifacts from handicrafts across China, based in this small village. Tell me about some of your recent projects. Yes, we do have a design studio here. We do have、uh, another thirty people working with us, young people that move to village. We are a kind of a new community of young villagers. All of our projects are related to the contemporary design, inspired by traditional craft. So, last year or so, I'm doing a small project with IKEA and window displays for a JMBY and.、Um, What's that? I don't know that. J N B Y. This is a Hanzhou-based、uh, fashion company, and they have a group of、uh, many brands. So they are contemporary, arty, and low-key, but very huge. It's really a different kind of client, very open,、uh, full of freedom. So I've been enjoying my my work lately quite a lot. Last year,、uh, that was the first window, and it was really inspired by a handcraft with a small cages for the cicadas. That's great. And and I have to say that we do have some little plan of coming to Shanghai with a little library. So that is a news. Wow! 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 wow. Probably very soon we are going to visit some spaces, and、uh, we are trying to establish a little paper library. In Shanghai, I think it is a little bit necessary to connect with、uh, Shanghai better. Yeah, well said. In ordinary times, maybe it wouldn't be necessary, but certainly now, where you're just in the next door province of Zhejiang, but it might as well be a different country sometimes, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is bizarre, you know. Here we are. Here we are. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're still smiling. Thank, Thank you. you so much for your time. As for you and the project being in season two, you were sandwiched between somebody who referred you from season one and then your referral to season three. So, 
are you in touch with the person from season one, Noah Sheldon? Yes, yes, we are. And uh, much more with his wife, Maggie. Right. Uh, they're opening a design store in Chicago. Oh. And uh, she's been searching some suppliers from China and she's been sending to me all the samples so I can confirm them and then send her a very detailed like uh, this, no, this, yes, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so I've been in touch with Maggie. And Hauru was uh, doing a building in our village, uh, which is open now. And uh, he was in our home two days ago. I just came from yoga class and there was like, oh, hi, Hauru. Oh. <laughs> Good friends. Oh, that's great. And of course, I will be releasing this catch up with you at the end of the episode with Hauru. So I hope that um, you can listen to his episode when it comes out. Cool. <laughs> Although nice. I know that you have still not listened to your episode, right? No. <laughs> it's okay. I, I know all the things I have to know about myself. I don't listen to my recordings. I don't watch my videos. I never can do that. Yes. It is terrifying for me. I actually can completely relate to you, but sadly, I have to listen to my own voice all the damn time. And uh, yeah, it's not a pleasant experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I really hope that I have a chance to see you again, either up in the mountains where you are or when you come to Shanghai to open up your paper museum. So uh, let's definitely catch up again in person soon. Yes, yes. Thank you, Oscar. Uh, I really hope to see you soon.